The Wish, written and read by Alexandra Schulman. Beware of your wishes, they might come true, was one of Julietta's favourite remarks. It always came to mind when I looked at the friendship bracelet she had tied around my wrist. One day, my wish did come true, I suppose, but not in the way I had intended. Was that what Julietta had meant, or was it just that fate and I had got our lines crossed? I had always wished to visit Paris with a man I was really crazy about, instead of the kind of just-passing-through types. But somehow, whenever I'd been there, and this was often, I was either there working, or it was a case of wrong man, wrong time. I'd look over the slate tiles of the mansard roofs, down the broad avenues that span out in a star shape, and sit on the benches in the city parks. And the beauty of the city would only highlight the imperfect circumstances of my being there. But that was before Marcus. He and I had been together for four years. We'd known each other as friends for a long time, but one night that changed. May 23rd. That was the night our love affair started. It immediately felt so right and complete, which was a strange feeling for me. People talk about how when they found their partner, they knew instantly that they would be together. But I had never felt anything remotely similar. Since then, we'd travelled to many places together, but oddly, not Paris. Amsterdam, Athens, Istanbul, Seville, Berlin, Naples, Rome. Each time we made love in a new destination, we'd remind each other that we had added another city to the catalogue. It was just one of those things we did. Marcus was spending a few days in Frankfurt for work, and I suggested that instead of his coming home, this year we should finally make it to Paris for our anniversary. Four years was worth celebrating. We could have been married. We talked about it often in a general way, and he'd asked me once, sort of. I think the line was, so shall we get married? but I hadn't taken it seriously at the time. At root, we both thought, well, what's the point unless we have children? Our relationship was so good, and we knew that it wasn't that we weren't committed to each other. In fact, for the past six months, I had stopped using anything, leaving getting pregnant to chance, but so far nothing had happened. We'd visit friends who were at the stage of juggling a baby and a toddler, their floors covered in toys and their clothes inevitably stained with some kind of food, and they'd say how lucky we were not to be living in the chaos. We both knew that what they meant was that we weren't in the same club now, and that really they felt a bit sorry for us. The Eurostar terminal was rammed. Obviously Friday afternoon was a peak time and looking at the hordes of people dragging their huge suitcases around, it was clear that the train was full of holidaymakers rather than commuters. When the 9012 to Paris was announced, they all crowded onto the escalators as if they were rushing for the last chopper out of Saigon. 
I think that must have been a phrase my mum used. I wasn't even born then. A woman in front of me nearly toppled over as she searched in her pink handbag, hanging onto her wheelie with the other hand, not noticing that the escalator was coming to the end. I nudged her to prevent her tripping. It turned out that we were sitting next to each other on the train. It's curious how often you see somebody in an airline terminal or train station and then discover they are in your carriage or seated right beside you. She had the window seat and was leaning up against the glass as if she was trying to make herself as small as possible. With the pink handbag, which I could now see had a fluffy kind of gonk figure tied onto it, sitting on her lap. I'd picked up a couple of magazines for the journey, but it was one of those lovely times when I was completely immersed in a novel I was reading. I couldn't wait to get back to it. I remember that when I first heard her speak, I thought she was on her phone, and I was relieved that I wasn't being interrupted. But I looked up and saw her looking at me. Sorry, did you ask me something? Yes, sorry for interrupting you. I wondered, is this a tunnel? Are we going under the channel? I would have thought anybody would know that you couldn't reach the English coast from the station at St Pancras so quickly but I didn't want to be rude. No, no, it's just an ordinary tunnel, I replied. They've made the journey quicker than it used to be, but that means there are more tunnels this side. We reached over in about half an hour, something like that. Is this your first time on Eurostar? You must think I'm stupid, she said, flushing so red that my own face heated, but I'm a bit nervous. This is the first time I've travelled abroad on my own since my divorce. I thought Paris would be a good idea, she continued, at first stuffing the bag into her side by the window and then pulling it out again. I could see that her fine blonde hair, stretched tightly back in a ponytail, had the occasional strand of grey at the hairline. And were it not for something about the set of her mouth that gave her a look of disappointment, she would have been very pretty. People are often described as having green eyes, but they're usually muddy and closer to a blue or brown. Hers were a pale, icy green that you wanted to dive into, which was so at odds with the rest of her appearance. You've chosen a good city to visit, I said. It's very pleasant to walk around in Paris and there are cafes everywhere, really, almost on every corner, where you can sit happily alone and watch the world go by. I always think it's a luxury to be on your own and just observe when you're in a foreign city. I hope to reassure her and carry on reading. The countryside was at that perfect, impossibly lush May moment when there is still so much of summer ahead. It was completely cloudless and so sunny that I briefly wondered whether it was a shame to be leaving London on a weekend like this. Julietta had invited us to a barbecue with some other friends. When the train stopped with a long screech, my neighbour spoke again. I'm very jumpy at the moment, she said. I don't much like the thought of being under all that water, but I'm telling myself that I have to learn to be able to do these things. I know I have to travel on my own and to cut out the negative thoughts. I just smiled in what I hoped was an encouraging way. And when we emerged from the channel tunnel, I turned to her saying, 
Welcome to France. We're through it now. You can relax. She was blinking tears away from those eyes, which made them even more startling. And so even though I had no desire to get stuck into a conversation, it seemed heartless to ignore her. She seemed so fragile that everything she did appeared to have the potential to damage her in some way. I'd already seen her struggle uncomfortably with the socket for her charger, dropping her phone under the seat in front, and since I'd sat down, she'd clung to a plastic bottle of water like a life belt, too nervous to leave it on her table. Polly, that was her name, worked for an interior decorator and lived just outside London. When she smiled, her face changed entirely, as it did when she told me about her young daughter, who was spending the weekend with her dad. I told her a little bit about myself, that I was meeting my boyfriend there, but I left out the bit about the circumstances of my visit, how I was going to be there with a man I really loved. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing, but as the train drew into Gardenor, I gave her my mobile number. If you have an emergency, then you've got someone to contact, but I'm sure you won't need it. I didn't tell her where we were staying, and in truth I preferred not to know where she would be. A phone number, that was enough. Expectation is so precarious. How often does life fulfil that hope? But that first evening was wonderful. Marcus and I arrived about the same time at our hotel, which was on a street with all the famous designer shops. We took a childish pleasure in exploring our room, checking the contents of the minibar, what bathroom products they had, opening the long windows that looked out on the garden with the scent of camellias. We were tempted to stay there, but it was still warm outside and the light was becoming delightfully soft and hazy. So we left the hotel to walk arm in arm round the Place de la Concorde and then to set off along the Seine. Later we shared a vast platter of fruits de mer, mopping up the juices with chunks of crusty baguette while we quickly demolished a bottle of Chablis. And later still, walking back to the hotel, we stopped and kissed on a street corner, which we hadn't done in heaven knows how long, with the lights of the Eiffel Tower twinkling in the background. I loved the fact that I knew the kiss so well, how Marcus's head felt so familiar as I cradled it with one hand, and the scent of him, too. Hotels are so great. There's something about the way everyone is just passing through that I find liberating. Usually we would stay in small, more boutique-type places, and maybe go out for breakfast. But this was an event weekend. We were going for the whole shebang, Marcus had booked us into a place in the centre of Paris on one of the smartest streets. It had originally been built in the 1930s, but it had a modern elegance with a uniform doorman and a pool. The next morning we ordered breakfast in our room, showering the white sheets with croissant crumbs while we balanced our coffee cups on our stomachs. Marcus left the bed first, walking across the room and checking himself in the mirror as he always did in a manner I often thought was to make sure he still existed. I was watching him in the bathroom as he shaved, pulling faces as he moved the razor across, when my phone pinged. There was a text. Thanks for being so kind yesterday. Which is best, the Louvre or Musée d'Orsay? Polly, X.
I've always been fond of the Dorsey. I typed back with no X. Saturday was another glorious day, warm enough for bare arms. I wore a dress I knew that Marcus liked, a wrap with a paisley print. Don't get me wrong, I liked it too. I'm not the kind of person who thinks they can only wear clothes their boyfriend likes. Heavens, I've got quite a collection of things he thinks are hideous. But this weekend was meant to be as close to ideal as we could achieve, so why not wear something he enjoyed seeing me in? I wanted to wander around the Marais, where you find little one-off shops selling things you won't find elsewhere, and where old stone buildings and narrow streets are classic Parisian. In London, we lived in a new-build block near the city. But although there were many high-rise buildings, it was only a few minutes' walk to the older streets, with a more human scale to the world, like the Marais. Marcus is a big walker. He regularly goes on long cross-country treks with the same three friends he's known since school. One of the things that annoys him about me is that I don't really like to walk that much, but I'd promised myself that I would pad along wherever he wanted this weekend, no complaining. So after we'd looked at a few shops and had a coffee on the corner of the Place de Vosges, we headed over the river to the left bank by foot. It always drives me crazy, though, when he does that man-walking thing, striding ahead incredibly fast, as if he has somewhere much more important to get to than me. We ate lunch beside Les Invalides. That's one of the things about mini-breaks. You spend a lot of time eating, not because you're hungry, but because it seems like the right thing to do. There was a moment when we were both looking at the green copper cannons facing onto the square, and a woman walked by with a little dog, which she had dressed in a ridiculous canary yellow knitted coat with blue woolen rosettes stitched on, and we simultaneously pulled a, what was that about face? It might have been a silly example of how in tune we were, but I felt perfectly happy. I remember that. The Musée d'Orsay was only a few minutes away, so we agreed to look at the Impressionists there, although really they weren't Marcus's thing. He was more interested in sculpture and later artists such as Picasso. Like I said earlier, it's funny how coincidences work, and I can't say I was that surprised when we saw Polly standing in front of Monet's painting of the Houses of Parliament with the blood-red reflection of the setting sun in the Thames. The rooms were crowded though, and it would have been easy for us to miss each other if she hadn't been standing right by the entrance to the room. I introduced her to Marcus as Polly, the woman I told you about who was on the train, and he made some kind of lame joke about the girl on the train thriller, which she smiled at politely. She was carrying that same pink handbag, but her hair was loose, and I noticed for the first time what a good figure she had in her high-waisted jeans and Breton top. I, I don't suppose you're free for a cup of tea or something. I noticed a nice place downstairs, she asked hesitantly, fiddling with that dumb gonk. I don't want to intrude, though. It was that last sentence that made it so hard to say no. I knew that Marcus wouldn't want to get involved, but I also knew him well enough to know that he wouldn't be the one to refuse. He'd leave it to me to find the excuse. I couldn't think what that could be, so we ended up in that cafe downstairs. Well, it was more like a restaurant. 
with giant modern chandeliers dangling from a painted ceiling. We told each other about what we'd done that day and it turned out that Polly was finding it easier than she had feared to be on her own. I felt slightly proud of her and certainly relieved, which surprised me after such a short acquaintance. When I came back from a trip to the bathroom, I could see Marcus was keen to get going as he was scrunching up sugar packets on the table, which was always a sign of boredom. Although late in the afternoon it was bright and sunny, so we walked over to the Musée Rodin, where I knew the garden would be filled with roses. You must smell these, they're incredible, I said, bending over a deep cyclamen-coloured bush. I wonder what they're called? Marcus either didn't hear or paid no attention. Beside us was a group, probably a birthday party. The little girls in tutus, the boys standing legs apart in denim, surrounded by a few adults. They looked adorable, and I had a moment of acute jealousy of the closeness between those parents and their children. I was going to share it with Marcus, but he was fiddling with his phone, so I thought, what's the point? Actually, when I rerun it in my mind, which I do again and again, I think it was about then that everything pivoted. It wasn't that there was any one thing I could put my finger on, but it was as if our own small world, which had been turning so smoothly since we arrived in the city, had been knocked, just fractionally, off kilter. My bare feet and trainers had given me a blister, which was beginning to hurt. And I suppose it was the pollen in the rose garden that kicked off Marcus's hay fever, so that on the way back to the hotel he could hardly speak for sneezing. Crossing the Tuileries garden, there were two men in front of us, the younger in a t-shirt with a backpack, the older with cropped grey hair and shirt sleeves. They were walking so close to each other that their arms kept knocking into each other, and I kept expecting one of them to take hold of the other's hand. But they didn't. They just continued brushing each other's skin as they walked, turning to smile at each other all the time. I wanted to reach out and touch Marcus, but I didn't. So what did you think of her? I asked when we were back in the room and he was scrolling through the long list of TV channels. The woman on the train? She was much more confident than you'd made her out to be. He turned the volume up for the day's match results. She's an Arsenal supporter too. How do you know, I asked, pleased to have removed the painful shoes. We spoke about it when you were in the loo. Football, you know, common language. I did know, but I was surprised and just the slightest bit put out that they had discovered they had that in common when I wasn't there. He propped himself up on the pillows. From the bed you could see the treetops of the tropical courtyard below. Let's have a drink downstairs before we go out to dinner. The table isn't till nine, Marcus suggested. I lay down beside him just as he picked up a copy of the Hotel Group magazine and started to flick through it. By Sunday, the weather had turned. Overnight, there'd been rain and damp hung in the sky. We'd slept in late and were about to check out when I got a call from Polly. 
Hi, look, look, I'm really sorry about this, but I didn't know who else to call. She was talking frantically, but so quietly it was hard to hear her properly. I've just had my bag snatched and it had everything, passport, ticket, all my cash, cards, everything. I've got the phone, but I don't know what to do. I feel so foolish. I just put it down for a second. What a nightmare, I said, making a kind of what now gesture to Marcus. Um, hang on, Polly. I guess we should give her some cash so she can stay and sort it out. I don't think they'll let her travel without the passport, I told him in a low voice. He shrugged. I returned to the call. If you come here, we can lend you some money so you can stay and work everything out. I'll meet you downstairs. Mandarin Oriental, Rue Saint-Honoré. Can you take an Uber? OK. We'll get a cab and I'll pay when you get here. I'm sorry, I said to Marcus. I know it's not ideal and not what we wanted for today. But why don't you go out and do something you'll enjoy? We could meet in an hour or so at the Dermago or Floor. That's a good idea, but for heaven's sake, don't get even more involved. I really don't want to spend all afternoon with her. Yes, I know, Marcus, but what can I do? Don't make me feel guilty about it. I'm not making you feel guilty. You're making yourself feel guilty, like you always do. I'm just stating facts. He'd often get like that, turning into Mr Briskly Effective. He zipped up his case and carried it to the door. See you later. I waited for her in the busy foyer. The concierge was showing a young American woman where she could go for a run. An Asian man was checking in with three Louis Vuitton suitcases. There were dark blue hydrangeas everywhere and of such a vivid shade that I pinched the petals of one to see if it was real or fake. Polly seemed to take ages to arrive, but then I realised I had no idea where she'd been when she called. It could have been the other side of the city. Eventually a slight figure ran through the front entrance, looking wildly around in the way that you do when you're too panicked to see what's in front of you. Every time I'd seen her, she'd had that pink bag with her, and without it, she didn't quite seem to know where to put her hands. We spoke to the concierge, who tried to be helpful, but all the same, it didn't look like she was going to be able to travel back that night. You will have to report the loss to the police because of the passport. When there is a passport involved, this is necessary, he said with a kind smile. But it's Sunday. These things, they can be slow. It was so stupid of me. I just put it on the floor for a minute in this cafe, and the next thing I knew, it had gone, Polly wailed. I can't believe it had happened. It's not like I care about the bag itself, though I bought it to cheer myself up on the day the divorce came through. But my passport and... Once again, she was welling up. Oh... I just remembered. I had this note from my daughter that she'd written me on Mother's Day. There wasn't much I could say. I know what it's like when something goes horribly wrong. You can think about how you wished it hadn't happened. You can talk about it. But in the end, it happened. There isn't a rewind. I knew it would have been kind to go to the police with her, but Marcus was my priority. 
We needed these last hours in Paris to be fun and to be what the whole trip was meant to be. So I packed her off and went to find him. He was seated at a corner table on the pavement at floor with a glass of wine in front of him. Have you been waiting long? I asked, squeezing onto the small chair beside him, past one of those French guys with a full head of slicked back grey hair and a craggy sun-tanned face. No, I walked around for a bit over there. He waved vaguely across the road. His phone lying down on the table pinged, but he paid no attention to it, which was unusual for him because he always responded to everything immediately. I need a drink after that. I looked at the menu, even though I knew I would order a pale kir with a sliver of lemon peel. Honestly, I should never have given her my number in the first place. Anyway, that's all done. After this, shall we head off to the Picasso? Mm, maybe, Marcus answered in a non-committal fashion. I couldn't judge whether that was because he liked just hanging out or whether he didn't much care. He said it was a coup de foudre, as if calling it that lent some legitimacy to how he behaved. That what had happened that day was something utterly irresistible and he was powerless against its force. No, not Polly of the pink handbag, obviously. No, Jean. Of course she'd be called Jean. After he'd left me waiting for Polly at Mandarin Oriental, he walked across the river and decided to stop off for a drink en route, choosing a table in a random bar near a woman who was reading the New York Times. I didn't need to know these details, but in that way people have when they think they're doing something cleansing, such as confessing or coming straight out with it, or whatever it is they think they're doing. He wanted to tell me everything when it eventually did come out a few weeks later about her short dark hair, what she was drinking, a citron pressé, and how he had seen her chat with the owner of the café before they started talking. He even told me what she was wearing, some kind of khaki thing. Khaki? He hated me in anything that looked the slightest bit military. That was just over a year ago now, and can you believe it? She's pregnant. Or so Julietta told me after visiting them last week in Paris. I was so hurt when she told me she was going. It was utterly disloyal. I mean, she was my friend. She'd been with me in the first place. I've thought many times since, though, that in a way it was her fault that this all happened. After all, he was her brother. Of course she's been apologising about him for months now and keeps saying she would never, ever have expected this. But in the end, he was still family and that has to count for something. So off she went and saw them together. She probably saw their flat too and definitely would have seen how he was looking at her, his pregnant girlfriend, no doubt with that gentle, proud look he used to give to me. It won't be any surprise that I got rid of the friendship bracelet. Mm -hmm.